all you cats and kittens. Lauren Smith here with Dustin Clark. And tonight we are going to be talking with John Vanderbinter, um, fiction author and Bigfoot researcher. And we are going to discuss how to feed your spouse to a tiger and get away with it. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, tired. I've been uh, clearing brush and <laughs> looking for mushrooms and getting poison ivy. So, <laughs> so I, you I poison can poison tiger quite easily right now. Yeah, just a little bit. You could. <laughs> it, it took me like 30 seconds to stop giggling so I could say it. Oh, man. Those things that amuse me. Um, I'm sorry to hear that you have poison ivy. That really sucks. Oh, um, it's, take it's a, fun. Take a bleach bath. No, serious. Take a bleach test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my I, god! I, I've gotten poison ivy like all my life, so. Mm. Must so, have to be it, a wink. It's just a little bit. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so have you had any luck finding finding morales? Uh, I found nine. Saturday, and then four more on Sunday out at uh, Eufaula Lake, and then I found three more here at the house, so not too bad. We already ate them all, so I need to go and find some more before they stop growing. Lauren. Yeah, I got booted. I'm sorry. (laughs) Can you hear me? That was rough. (laughs) I've never had to speed dial so much in my life. So I guess it will always be a mystery um, on how many mushrooms you've collected. Yep, we already gone gone over it. We ain't going back. This train ain't stopping. That's rude. (laughs) That's rude. Yes, I found it. Anyway. uh, Okay. Okay. All right. Anyways, uh, um... No. Well, I mean, yes, but no. So, I don't know. Well, <laughs> I'm well, trying uh, to avoid the coronavirus, basically. That's, that's like, the story of my life is um, doing everything in my power not to get the Rona, so. Mm. <clears throat> <coughs> what? I think... Oh my god, I know I have allergies right now so bad and it's it's the worst possible time to have allergies. Um I'm sneezing and coughing and like my eyes are itching and my head is aching and it's like the worst time to have these symptoms and and like to to touch my face. I just want to touch my face so bad. It's ridiculous. Um, it's like, you know, when you're washing dishes or your hands are wet and your nose itches, that's what the coronavirus yeah. epidemic, like, I'm like that all the time. I always want to touch my face. The struggle. <laughs> the struggle. Anyways, I, like, started the show the way I did to kind of bring some comic relief because um, the coronavirus sucks, and I'm, I know everybody's probably tired of talking about it. So, with 
Um, with that being said, we are going to go ahead and bring John on. We had him on two weeks ago. If you have not already, please go listen to that show. It was a great show. We talked about his book. We talked about his experiences. And tonight we are going to continue that discussion. Um, we're going to start off actually with um, the activity that John is having around his house and in the area surrounding him. So how are you doing tonight, John? Doing great. Glad to be back. Um, I heard your conversation there, and so other than coronavirus, we got to worry about tigers now too, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or guys do any husbands have to worry about tigers? Actually, I haven't got to see that show because the streaming doesn't work very well up here, and uh, I oh, keep seeing no. stuff about it, but but yeah, I haven't seen the show. Yeah, I know there it's, are some people a, that are like ride. just. They're just, oh, my gosh, this is a waste of time. You're watching that show and putting money in his pocket. All of those people are not from Oklahoma, first of all. Second, <laughs> I I just have, like, this guy is just, like, outrageously extra, but I just love him. Like, I just love him to death. You know, everyone's like, oh, my God, I bet you went to high school with that guy, didn't you? I was like, okay, first of all, there's more than four people in Oklahoma. I just feel like you should know that. Second, he is much older than me. Third, I wish I had gone to high school with that guy. He is awesome. Like, I want to yeah. share a beer with him. Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's that show, it's really good. It's like a, a train wreck that, like a train wreck full of explosives. Like, it just keeps going and keeps going. And you're like, oh, it cannot get any worse. And then it does. So, that's how that works. It's um, but it's worth watching. You should definitely go watch it. Report back. Oh yeah. You can you can base your next book off of that guy, please. Okay, <laughs> well I'm going to have to get, get better streaming up here then. <laughs> You're going to have to go to town and stream off of someone's Wi-Fi and just binge watch it at McDonald's and then go home and write your third book over that guy. <laughs> And incorporate it in, in my car at McDonald's now, right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, yes. yeah, yeah. You have Don't to be go safe. Of you have to be safe. <laughs> but okay, so back on track. You you said that you have been having some stuff happen around your house and other things um, that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, well, mainly <laughs> around the house. We covered that a couple of weeks ago. We, you know, we both had a siding here and. Uh, like I said, Monica was fortunate enough to have two other people with her that saw it. Um, and like I was telling you, too, we've had rocks end up in the pool, and it's just, I mean, you can say a human did it, but it, it is a long way from where the fence is to the pool. I'm getting on up there in years, but I can't I can't throw a rock over in that pool. And it was happening a lot uh, toward the end of the summer. I would come home in the evenings and... Uh, clean the pool would be the first thing I did, and I just, every, every night there'd be one or two rocks in there. Funny thing, too, I remember I was talking to a guy that uh, works at the Kaimichi Christian Mission, and uh, he had mentioned how a couple of years ago they were moving big rocks out of the way when they mowed, and they were take, you know they were throwing them down in like a ditch and stuff like that, and they started noticing the rocks were coming back and being put in the holes they had left behind. And I always thought that was kind of a strange story. Um, and uh, I think I I'm, I'm failed to mention, I know I told you about our trip to uh, Longpool, Arkansas, 
and my friend mm-hmm. Joe and his wife, Kim, uh, we went there a second time. Monica went with me, and Kim came with Joe. Well, they actually came here last October, mid-October, and Joe and I were out in the side-by-side messing around up on one of the back roads here, and uh, Kim and Monica actually had a big vocal. I believe she said they went inside, too. Um, but the thing of it is, it's hit and miss here. you got to be careful. There's There's a couple of guys that live down the road from me, and those guys can make some pretty pretty good Sasquatch uh, imitations. But usually I can tell when it's them. I know the direction they live, and they usually do it when somebody's, You'll see. You'll know when people are in town, kind of doing Sasquatch hunts, and I think they get a kick out of it. But then you get the ones I call the real ones that come off the hills at night, and um, that's it's just ridiculously loud. They, they last a long time. You can tell whatever it is as a huge set of lungs, and um, so yeah, there is a difference. I hear I hear the guys down the road, and I just kind of giggle because I know it's them. But um, mm-hmm. and then you get the other one, and uh, you just really can't deny those. Um, but yeah, as far as yeah. right around the house, you know, it's just Monica's told me I should keep a log, and she's right, I should. And I keep saying I'm going to, and uh, then I think oh, I'm busy writing other things. <laughs> I haven't really started, but <laughs> she's got the right idea. I do need to keep a log, but it's just a hit or miss thing. And like I told you two weeks ago. When something happens, it's when I'm not thinking about it. I'm not, you know, Bigfoot's not on my mind. I'm either doing yard work or busy with something, and I'll get the vocalization or I'll get, you know, we've had, it sounded like two gorillas trying to talk one night in a wood line behind our house, and we both heard it, and it just sounded like they were, they weren't right together. It was like they were about 100 um, yards apart and just kind of grunting and, and making noise toward each other. Now, we, we have deer on our property all the time, and they'll snort at me, and every now and then one will, you know, stomp its hoof or whatever, and and I know what that is. This was completely different. It actually sounded like a couple apes were out there just kind of running at each other. So hmm. it's it's just something you can't go out there and say something's going to happen tonight, but if you go out and – you know, both of us like to sit outside at night, and that's probably why we do um, recognize the difference and know the difference. And and like I told you, the the night I, I saw something walk behind the uh, carport, I couldn't tell you what it was, but it was massive. And I was I was hoping my eyes were just playing tricks on me, but it was pretty profound. And, you know, it shocked me enough where, you know, I told Monica to get in the house right away. Um, another thing, too, uh, I've mentioned the last time I was on the show how, uh, you know, a lot of people don't talk about it up here, and some do. And one of my <laughs> we, – we've made friends with a, quite a few couples here. And one of the couples, I want to say older, but, you know, I'm starting to get older myself, so I better not use that word too loosely. <laughs> But he's lived here um, almost all of his life, and uh, he lived in Texas for a short time. But um, I think late 70s, early 80s, their age, and he tries to tell me a story about when he was 12. I guess uh, his father had abandoned the family, and he was 
like the oldest, and I guess the man of the house, and they were out of food, and his mom gave him the gun and said, I need you to go up and shoot a deer for us, and it's a hill right here, you know, I'm like a half mile from it. And he tries to tell me this story, and he said there was something that was getting like a red glow in its eyes, and he said, and he couldn't always see it. it was like I don't know if it was reflecting light or what, why he couldn't always see it. But he said it followed him up the hill, and he'll just start getting to the good part because I'm trying to find out, all right, this thing's between him and his house. How did you get home? And his wife will butt in every time. She, I've lived here all my life. I ain't never seen a mm-hmm. big put. There ain't no such thing. And she does this every time he tells the story. And, it, and it's kind of hilarious. It's also a little annoying because I want I want to hear the end of the story. And the last time he tried to tell me the story was a couple of months ago. And she did the same thing. She butted in and said, oh, I've lived here all my life. There ain't no Bigfoot in these woods. And she goes, but you know what? One night we were going to Tallahassee and we saw a flying saucer. <laughs> I want to say, well, there's people who lived here all their lives and never seen a flying saucer, but, but I don't dare. That's just a smart aleck in me, but... It tickles me that she'll sit there and, you know, kind of berate berate her husband and, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, but she saw a flying saucer, so. <laughs> it's funny how people now, are either in ha- one camp or the other. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've been in one camp and now I'm in the other one, so I, I know how it can happen. You know, I, I would have, mm-hmm. six years ago, i if somebody would have done this, I would have been like, yeah, okay, let's move on and talk about something interesting. But but now, you know, I, I know a little better. Um, now, one thing that's happened to me in the past year that, that's really interesting, in my job I drive two to 300 miles a day usually, and uh, I drink a lot of coffee. And <laughs> towards mm-hmm. the end of the, uh, the day when I'm coming home, sometimes uh, let's keep this family friendly, but I have to take a little – little uh, pit stop, and there's a place between here and Bethel, which is about 18 miles from Honeby to the south, and you drive through the mountains. Well, there's kind of a it's kind of a cliff place there. You can park your car and get out, and you go down a little drop, and you're standing on a pretty good-sized cliff that's probably 250 feet down to the floor of the forest down there, and that's kind of became my spot if I knew I just couldn't make it home. I'd just get there, jump out of the car, and be done. Well, it was December of uh, 2018, and it was raining really hard, and it had been cold all day, and I'd been drinking coffee all day, and I just wasn't going to make it home. So I'm standing at the cliff, um, minding my own business, and I look down, and there's a perfect footprint, and it's raining hard, and this thing is massive. It's just filling with water, and... I'm just thinking, man, you got to remember where you live. you got to start looking around and paying more attention. And uh, so I went, you know, got my car, went on about the business, came home, told Monica, hey, I saw this massive print, and um, I didn't have anything to cast it with. Plus, it was pouring cats and dogs, so it was going to be gone by the time I got back up there. Well, then two months later, it was February, and it was a really nice day, and I was coming home and had to stop again. And I'm at the same spot, and I got a whistle. It sounded like it was only maybe 50, 60 feet away in the trees, behind some pine trees. And it sounded human, but this thing was as loud as like a ship's. I mean, it just it scared me to death. I jumped. I 
I didn't even bother finishing what I was doing. I ran and got my car and got on out of there. And again, I told myself, dude, you got to remember where you live now and, you know, pay closer attention. So that's a really neat area. Funny thing about it, too, is um, I've seen three bear up there. Uh, well, actually four. Three were cubs that were running across. the Happened just to be crossing the road in front of me. Another one was full-grown. It was about a half mile further down the road. I saw it a few weeks later. Funny thing, when I saw the bears, I saw them coming. So I had time to put on my brakes, grab my phone, and before I could get my phone up and get the camera on, they'd cross the road and were in the woods. And I'm thinking, well, yeah. that's why people don't get pictures of these things, you know. Because these were little bear cubs. They were a little confused. They looked scared. But I couldn't get my camera up in time just to get a picture of them. Now, the icing on the mm-hmm. cake on this deal is uh, last um, May, the car I was using, I, I drive for work, I developed a little uh, oil leak on it, and I could smell it on the engine. I was coming back from Texarkana, and I pulled in into Queen, Arkansas, and got gas and decided I'd wash the engine off because I could smell that oil wanted to get rid of it. Well, when I sprayed the engine, I didn't realize it, but oil had gotten on the windshield wipers from the engine. Mm. So I go through Bethel, I'm starting to climb the mountains toward Honeby, and it starts raining, so I turn on the wipers, and the oil starts streaking my windows, and I can't see where I'm going. So I'm driving five miles an hour up the mountain, (laughs) and I'm trying to, uh, excuse me, I'm trying to see my dog wants, he just wants to annoy me. My dog's keeping me company tonight. Um, anyway, I'm driving slow, and I'm hitting the windshield wash, trying to get all the oil off of the uh, off the windscreen so I can see, and I'm just putzing along. It's only me on the road. And I'm looking at the windshield wipers, kind of looking up. Finally, they clear. The windshield clears, and I look down, and there's pine trees. I mean, they come right up to the edge of the road, and I see this. I thought it was a tree trunk at first, but it was a leg. It was a big, red, hairy leg, and it just stepped off into the trees. And I stopped, and I looked at where I was. Well, I was right in that same place where I would normally make a pit stop. I just didn't realize it because it was raining, and I'd been fighting the windshield. So I pulled the car up real quick to where I saw the last place I saw the leg. And, of course, it was it was getting kind of close to dark, and you couldn't see into the trees. It was really dark. And I sat there for a minute, and I had the window down. I'm really looking real intense into the woods trying to see this thing. And then I started thinking about my book, and I thought, you're going to get hit in the head with a rock. So I rolled up the window and headed on home. But uh, I, I tell people when they come up here, if there's a little place up there you can camp and stuff, and a lot of people will come up and they they want to ask where to go. And I I always tell them I would go up there. And I don't know that anybody has yet, but if I was to come up here looking around, that would be the place I would go, more than right around town here. Hmm. I'm going to have to get with you on that. <laughs> yeah, if you're ever down this way, I, I can, in fact, I could probably uh, show it to you on Google Earth, pinpoint it for you if you're ever interested. Or come here and I'll drive you up there. Sounds good. Uh, I wanted to get real, back real quick to the the rocks near pool. Uh, mm-hmm. How big did you say they were? Well, 
there would be some tiny ones, but then there would also be baseball sized ones. And you've been up here, you know, rocks grow really good up here, man. I mean, I mow rocks oh, yeah. as much as I mow grass. It's like every year I get a whole new crop sticking up through the topsoil. But yeah, in the road I live on, a dirt road, and there's rocks all on the side. And some are, you know, they're they're pretty heavy rocks. Mm. Also, uh, have you noticed at all, like, the activity around your house? Is it just is it kind of spread out through the year, or do you find that it's more active during winter, fall, spring? You know, I would I would say most of the stuff happens around the fall, around here. Um, but one thing I, I noticed, too, is when things are happening, I don't see any deer. We usually have deer on the property. Almost every night mm-hmm. you can go out and see deer. And I've noticed that if something's – when something happens around here, I never see deer. One time I've seen deer when we, when we had a uh, vocalization up here one night. There was deer in the pasture, and they got a little spooked and went on in the woods. But uh, that's been the big thing. I think most of it usually happens around the fall. It seems to be between – from the time of the Bigfoot Festival to a little bit after Christmas – is usually when the most you get the most stuff happening, and I wonder too. Um, you can't really see in the woods real good up here unless it's winter or fall. And I'm thinking by the time winter hits, the leaves are all down, and you can really see well into the forest. And I'm wondering if that's why things slack off is because uh, because the cover's all down. Maybe they don't come in as close or. Not as, you know, but maybe they stay up in the hills more. I have no idea. Um, I don't know what they think or what they do. That's interesting. Yeah, we that have, that's uh, the, sorry. Go ahead. That's interesting that that's the active time, um, like in the fall. And and so is it? it's not as active in the spring or is it? Um, well, I don't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen anything. You're you're always going to hear stuff. You know, you always get the vocalizations. I say always, but you'll get those year, year round, but I don't get the, the, you know, the, uh, the walking or the sounds like they're up close or anything until fall, like the chattering we heard that night, that was fall. Mm -hmm. Um, when Monica and Kim got scared and came in after the vocalization, that was fall. Um, my sighting was my sighting was late summer, nearly fall. So and so was Monica's. That's pretty interesting. Um, but again, I don't know. That doesn't make me an expert. And it's not like I right. was able to grab one and throw it to the ground and wrestle with it. So, <laughs> right. Um, but still, I mean, kinda... you've you put in the time to to you know jot all that down and track it on when they're most active yeah. that you've experienced. You know, and um, that's important. That is important. Um, now, wow, um, uh, the so... guy. I, I remember. Do you remember me telling you about? Go ahead. Um, where Monica found a footprint and uh, 
the guy has a cabin about four miles from here. His name's Sean. And uh, mm-hmm. now everything that happened over there, the we Monica found a footprint. We found the damage to the trees. And then he had come in for the weekend and had his new night vision stuff he was looking with and actually saw one squatting over by where the trees had been damaged in the dark just looking at him. That was springtime, so hmm. that was completely different. And then what I was telling you about going on uh, about 10 miles from here toward Bethel, near that cliff, that took place in winter and spring. So um, so I basically, I guess things can happen just, just about any time, but um, anything that's been close to the house has usually been in the fall. Yeah, I was wondering about that because uh, we we have an area we we research over uh, by Smithville, and uh, the majority of our uh, activity is during fall winter time. Is that right? I think well, uh, that... some of yeah, some of our best well, photos that we've gotten that are recorded were uh, during in November. Oh, really? You know, and yeah. I think too. Um, I don't know about you, Dustin, but I'm more inclined to be outside in the evening in fall or winter. I'm not a, you know, mm-hmm. if, if it's July and it's muggy and it's hot, and I'm not real fond of the, the song of the tree frog. <laughs> I don't understand how people <laughs> sleep up here that that don't have air conditioning, sleep with their windows open. I'd never make it. I gotta have something to drown out the sound of the tree frogs. I'd never. The first time I heard one, I thought it was a bird. In the tree by the pool, and I'm looking around. I'm looking up. And then they start coming from everywhere, and I was, what the heck? <laughs> but yeah, they're pretty oh loud. Oh my goodness, they are very loud, and that's also kind of, if you think about it, um, that's the worst time to record as well. But also the best time for mm. them to move around because they're covered yeah, by that so. god awful noise. <laughs> yes. And they started up in February here this year. I couldn't believe it. We had a couple of warm days and oh. rain, and they started croaking. I was like, yeah, you're all going to die in a few days when the freeze comes. They hung in there, man. They were tough. <laughs> They're still out there now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's funny. Um, it's just you have to wonder. They're, you know, the Bigfoot are so active during the fall and winter, and that's usually hunting season, you know, and it's – I don't know if that's making the animals move around or if they're just, you know, stocking up for winter, trying to get some meat on their bones. You know, I've also wondered, too, about, and I haven't paid attention to it, but moon phases is like they're more active on a full moon. Okay, Adam, you're not the guest tonight, okay? He is letting me know all about what bears do before they go into hibernation and why Bigfoot do the same thing. So. Well, you know what? Adam knows yeah. I need I need to know that info I need. Uh, you know, I'm not used to bears in hibernation. <laughs> it's all new to me, so me tell Adam he can talk to me anytime he wants. I'm going to have him on as a guest next week and let him tell us all about it. Good idea. <laughs> all about hibernation and how we should take better care of the earth. That's all he preaches about here lately. Um, 
but I do wonder if, if hunting has a lot to do with it or just if that's, you know, a good time to stock up on, on uh, build your body fat up before winter when things get sparse. Well, that could be it. And, um, two, during the hunting season, there's more people out in the woods, so it may aggravate yeah. them. There's probably a chance of more sightings. Um, plus, yeah. you know, you can hear better when, when all the leaves are coming off or down, too. You know, sound's going to travel further mm-hmm. so hey dustin if, if i'm asked are you are you up there near that area x place is that where you go or is it another area you go to uh no uh i mean we're we're pretty close to area x but we're mm-hmm. more kind of between smithville and hanobi or not hanobi uh Hoke Town. okay all right so you're off 259 down there then? Yes. Okay. Now, are you are you anywhere near Cucumber Creek? Uh, no, but uh, we've been by there before. Have you? Okay. I was just trying to kind of figure out where you were. So. Yeah, uh, we kind of go to, do you know where the Narrows are on 259? Uh it's a low water crossing. There's uh, right across the street from the turn is a there's a, a dispensary there now in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, I forgot I forgot what the road is actually called. It's a uh, we call it. The oh, road. I know what you're talking about. Where it goes across the river over there or whatever. Yeah. That, that bit. Okay. Yeah. Is that the uh, is that the wine? What what river is that there? That is the oh I'll have to look yeah, it I up. Can't remember. I don't remember now. I drive I drive yeah. across it two or three times a week and I can't remember the name of it. I know what you're talking about though. I've stopped there actually I stopped there and had lunch. Um, long before I moved to Anovi. I, I was up here working one day and and I just bought a little sack lunch and went out there and sat by that river and was looking around. But I know yes, I mm. do know what you're talking about. Yeah, we uh, we have a few spots back up in there that uh, have produced some good stuff. And uh, one of our guys, Brian Hoolan and Tim Offrey, they've seen one up in there. And we've seen some silhouettes. We've had stuff come through camp in the middle of the night and a lot of noises. But uh, we, we were actually planning on uh, going down there this weekend, but with all this virus crap going on, we just decided to, to not do that just in case everybody gets locked down. Yeah, yeah, it would be a bad bad thing to happen. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you used the word silhouette, too, because that actually is the best description of, uh, like I told you two weeks ago about when Monica was out on the phone and I looked, and, and it was, it was like a silhouette walk behind her on the other side of the carport in a perfect description. So, yeah, I've seen that, too. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's uh, the, where we go out there. Is, it's, you got to be careful with what you see in the middle of the night, especially if you're going lights out, because there's there's a herd of about 20 cows out there. There's... <laughs> four or five wild horses out there and there's two donkeys just free range. Oh, there. really? 
So, yeah, there, there's been a couple of times where we've come around the corner on one of these gravel roads, and boom, there's a horse right in the middle of the road, and it's walking away from you, so you see the back end silhouetted for a half a second, and your heart stops. Like, oh, crap, there's one. And then it kind of turns its head and like, oh, shit. <laughs> I remember as a kid when I, uh, the first time I saw Legend of Boggy Creek, and uh, I remember a few weeks later, we were deer hunting down in Kerrville, Texas, and I was just a kid. And, you know, my, my dad drops me off like 5 o'clock in the morning on a deer stand, and he's like, I'll be two miles down over. <laughs> so I'm out in the middle of nowhere with, you know, I had a 30-30, but I kept hearing this noise and hearing this noise. And right away, man, I'm thinking, Legend of Boggy Creek. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't wait for it. I to get light, you know, I just had to know, you know, I thought the, the Boggy Creek monster was out there going to get me. And as it got a little lighter, I could actually see something standing behind a tree. And finally it got light enough and I got to look, it was a horse. <laughs> so it was probably good. My father always taught me good trigger discipline. because I was a bit scared for a little kid, you know, <laughs> but I knew if I shot the wrong thing, man, was I going to be in trouble? <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm well, glad you didn't shoot it. it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> hey, you know, too, uh, funny ago. thing about that. Oh, yeah, it was. And this is how ignorant I was of the whole uh, the whole uh, Bigfoot thing was I never realized that the legend of Boggy Creek was based on a Sasquatch. Not until I started writing the novel and I looked across the southern Boggy Creek I just, you know, my whole life, I just assumed it was a, a, some kind of monster thing. And I don't know, for the life of me, I never associated it with Sasquatch. But then again, I always assumed Sasquatch was out in the Pacific Northwest and didn't even have any mm-hmm. clue about the two being related until I started researching. I was like, oh, dummy, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of your mm-hmm. horse story, um, a few years ago, I was a private investigator, and I was way, way out in the country, parked on this old gravel road waiting to for this guy to leave his house. And uh, I was there right before daylight, and this whole, I, I just started listening to Sasquatch Chronicles. I know Lauren's going to cringe. Anyway, um, but I was sitting there listening to it, and the sun's coming up, and... I heard heard some noises, and I looked over, and there's some cows coming. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. And it gets to a, a real creepy part in the story, and all of a sudden a donkey hee-haws within 10 foot of the truck and scares the living crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, very, very – it's very rare for me to get the creeps. Like I told you last night, I, I get the creeps real bad up in Longpool, Arkansas. Here it doesn't happen often, but it, it has happened a couple of times. Like vocalization we had three or four weeks ago where it just shut up the whole valley. I just decided it was time to go inside. Um, the other night here, now it could have been anything got it, but there was a wild hog out there fighting something one night. I was, uh, it was Monday night, this past Monday. And, man, it was putting up a fight with something. And then it, it's growls and everything just, like, got cut short like something killed it. Now, it could have been a cat. It could have been mm-hmm. a bear on it. It could have been another hog for all we know, you know, for all I know. But um, 
it was, that was another one of the moments like, well, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> and so I just decided to go on <laughs> in the house for the night. Well, I um, was wanting to kind of get into your second book just a little bit before uh, before we run out of time. Um, right. <laughs> I kind of just wanted, yeah, I just wanted to know, um, you know, kind of tell us what it's about, what gave you the idea to take it that direction, everything like that. Okay. Well, uh, what it's about, um, the characters – the main characters from the first book, um, all the good guys, one of the really bad guys, they're all back for the second time. And um, i try to tell a story without giving too much away to the first book for folks that haven't <laughs> read it. But um, what started, um, how I wrote in the first book, there was an airplane crash near uh, Queen Wilhelmina State Park in Arkansas, just across the border. And it started a forest fire, and the forest fire drove these four uh, Sasquatch toward Tallahena, where they started encountering people, and everything just started going bad. Um, the main character, Sam, he, like I said, he was police chief in Tallahena in the first book. In the second book, he's there was a, he he had a pretty rough time after uh, all the things that happened in the first book. Some people lost their lives, and he kind of just gave up his job as chief of police and pretty much uh, uh, he's married his old high school sweetheart and uh, they're living in Tallahena. Well, things start happening on his father's property and it ends up drawing him down to uh, Honeby. And my premise for the story is, like I said, I was taking in more of a, a uh, religious angle on this and um the premise for the story is there's about to be a uh, a revival of Christianity in, in the valley, and it's just a, there's like an evil setting over just to kind of counter it, to keep that from happening. Um, are any of you guys, are either of you familiar with uh, like the Stephen Quayle or uh, L.A. Marzulli? Have you ever listened to any of their stuff? About, no. Um, well, like L.A. Marzulli is big in the Nephilim and the uh, – and UFOs. In fact, his thing is UFOs are not um, interplanetary. They're interdimensional. And some of it makes sense. When you look at uh, modern-day UFO abduction and you take the uh, what happens to the people and then you put it with an incubus or succubus attack from the Middle Ages, it's almost identical. And so that's his premise. And, and I've started using that in the novel, excuse me. And it's basically, it starts out with um, there's Sasquatch problems in and around Honeby, and that draws these guys down. But some some other characters from the first book are military, and they've gone off to uh, to uh, Afghanistan and had encounters. Have either of you ever heard about the Kandahar Giant? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Probably not. <laughs> I've heard of oh, you have? <laughs> okay. Well, one yeah, of the mm-hmm. characters that had to deal with something like that and they just they get leave right around Thanksgiving, and they come back, and they decide to take their leave around Tallahassee and visit their friends, the Redstones, Addison and and Sam, and they all get involved in what's going on around Honubi now. And uh, I got to learn to pronounce it right. It's Honubi to the 
according to mm-hmm. the locals. I've been saying it wrong since <laughs> I've been here. <laughs> but anyway, and uh, I've introduced a new character. Um, his name's Josh Neshoba. Now he's in his nineties in the book, and and the the book it's going to go back to when he was a young. He, he was a young man. Um, his uncle had been killed in attack on Pearl Harbor. And he wanted to be a, a pilot, and by the time he got his wings with the Navy and everything, Pearl Harbor or World War II had ended. And so his story basically starts in 1947, and he's involved as a pilot in uh, Operation High Jump down around Antarctica. Um, and he encounters UFOs while he's flying. And, he, and the book fades back to him occasionally and uh, all the way through his career in the Navy right up to Vietnam. But actually, he he lives in the hills above Hanobi. He's in his 90s, an old man, and he's like the, I guess you could call him kind of a Obi-Wan Kenobi character, on, and the locals call him the Mad Putter. He's like, because he's always doing something about the Bigfoot or searching for the Bigfoot. So he's kind of a local legend, and but everybody thinks he's a little off. He, his wife had died a couple of decades before, and... uh so he's been kind of a hermit-like character. He's friendly. He'll talk to you, but he lives alone, and he's focused on the Bigfoot activity in the area. So he's like a new main character, and it's been a lot of fun writing him in because of my love of aircraft. And uh, the second book, I think um, as much as people seem to like the first one, I really think the second one's going to be better as a story. Uh, the... The the wife of the director, her name is Dora Karn. She's doing the editing for me this time. And I didn't have an editor last time. And she really takes what I write, and she doesn't change the story at all. She'll just tell me, how about we put it this way? And it just makes a world of difference, and I'm real appreciative of that. And I've also got a good mm-hmm. friend who lives out in Tucson named uh, Dwayne Artie, and he's a retired Air Force pilot. And the aircraft that Josh flies in the book, he's either flown the same aircraft or something similar. Uh, Josh starts out in the Bearcat. Um, Dwayne has flown a T-51 Mustang since he's retired. Um, Josh ends up flying the F-4 Phantom. Well, Dwayne flew those while he was in the Air Force. So he's just a treasure trove of if I got a question or if I need to know um, how – one pilot would talk to another in a combat situation. You know, he's right there to help me. He uh, he straightens out the stuff I write. I'll send him what I wrote, and he'll jot his ideas down and help me out there. As a matter of fact, Dwayne helped me in the first book, in the prologue, the, uh, the uh, talk between the pilot and uh, uh, the air traffic controllers in Fort Worth. In the very first book, I went to Dwayne for what would transpire between them. So he's actually helped me in, in both books. But I think um, book two is going to be it's going to be a, a better read um, just because I have I have a lot of help this time with the editing and technical advice. That's good. It's always but, good to have an outside perspective to kind of, you oh, know, it, because it, you it get really so is. immersed. You get so immersed in the details and and in in what you're trying to put down on paper and keep the flow going. And I mean, there's just a lot of different things to creating a really good story. And to have somebody read over it and be like, "Hey, what do you think about making this 
flow a little better here and stuff like that. I mean, that's just crucial. I'm glad that you have that support. Yeah, I, I am too. And and the thing too, uh, you know, I wanted I wanted to write this sequel. My sister had talked me into it. But there's only there's only so many tricks you can do with Bigfoot, you know. So I had to mm-hmm. include some other stuff in this book to keep it keep it relevant. There'll still be a lot of Bigfoot, but we're you know, like I said, I'm bringing in some other factors. Uh, there's going to be the uh, you know the Nephilim angle is going to be um, presented in the book, and you know, as mad as it makes people, uh, there are a lot of reports of, of UFO and Sasquatch sightings that coincide together, and um, oh, I wish I could remember the man's name. Um, something Gordon, and he lives in Pennsylvania. Wrote uh, Battle for Chestnut Ridge. If either of you familiar with that? No, I've heard it of a lot of sounds um, familiar. I've heard a lot of experiences involving uh, Bigfoot and UFO sightings at the same time. So. Um, that's actually something that my mom, if you ever hear our show, she will ask the guests that a lot because she's trying to kind of collect as much of that experience as she can. Um, so we have quite a few of those accounts on our show that we get from people. Awesome. Well, we'll tell mom about yeah. my second book, huh? <laughs> oh, definitely. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that, that's the direction. Yeah. I'm going with it. And um, some of the, some of the, Characters everybody loved from the first book will be back. One of the characters everybody hates. I've I've got more grief for this guy not dying in the first book, but he's back in the second book and he he's going to be worse than ever. <laughs> There's got to be that one character that everyone loves to hate, you know? Oh, I know. Like I, you have you know, my, that one character. Go ahead. <laughs> my sister. One time, I I would always like I told you last time I would write on the weekends and send her what I wrote and one week I had it look like this guy was he was a goner it just looked like he wasn't going to make it back and she was kind of happy and, but he got back and she's like oh I thought you were going to get rid of him <laughs> and I just I was like no he's too much fun <laughs> oh my gosh I love it um, you, you have to have that one like you have to have the antagonist and um, my favorite thing is when people, whenever they, you have that villain that everybody just, you hate that person. And then the author spins it to where you actually end up loving that person. Like they turn into kind of the anti-hero. That's like my favorite thing. So just saying. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry, Lauren, this guy's just too <laughs> rotten to be an anti-hero. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. He's just getting worse every day. <laughs> That's okay, because you still you have to have that person, that bad person that everyone loves to hate. Maybe Bigfoot can eat him. It'll be fine. <laughs> and that's what everybody was. Oh, I was hoping Bigfoot would get get um, Paul Eastman. No, no. Paul <laughs> still wouldn't. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. Um, so I mean, have you? You've written this book. Have you had a lot of um, stories from people contacting you and telling you their stories? And if so, what was kind of a favorite one that was told to you? Well, yeah, I have. Um, actually, it's people I've 
surprisingly, I met a lot of people on Facebook, and um, and I developed friendships with them. Then got to meet them because they would come to Hanobi for this ho nubby for this or that. Uh, one of my favorite <laughs> stories is some friends I have uh, made friends with that live not too far from here, um, near De Queen, Arkansas. They live um, Hal and D. They live out kind of in the woods, kind of like us, and uh, they've had activity out there and. Uh, they had something shaking. I believe it was shaking. They got a big fence around their property. It was shaking their gate one night. Hal actually had a siding. It was years ago down in that same area. But um, that's pretty interesting. My friend uh, Joe up in Pennsylvania, you should have him on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he thinks one grabbed his foot one night. He, he's the ex-Marine. He'll he'll go out there and sleep with his feet hanging out of his Jeep. and um, he, he thinks one... Uh, touched his foot one night, and him and his wife both felt something pushed down on the Jeep one night. And they've uh, not only been to uh, Longpool, but um, they've stayed overnight at in the LBL, Land Between the Lakes. You hear about how scary that place is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I got another friend um, that I've met, Barry Coy, and he came down here for the... Uh, the uh, Bigfoot conference back in October, and he had one cross the road, him and his friend Rick, who's also a friend of ours now, um, they had one cross the road in front of them between Neshoba and Hanobi, and that's about, I don't know, it's about a 19-mile stretch between those two towns. So I hear a lot of them. Um, I haven't heard anything really blood-curdling or exciting, but, you know, everyone I hear is exciting to me. Um, it's right. it's fun to hear people reactions and and you'll you'll hear a lot of people say man i thought i thought it was all bs you know i didn't believe it and then bang there it was and now i'm out looking for them and and it's funny it's like you see one and you either don't want to see it again or you get completely consumed by it and i think it just depends on you know the encounter like when i was talking to wes germer about my sighting you know, I told him, I said, man, I, I never felt like scared or I'm not going to have PTSD or any of that. I said, but then again, the thing wasn't running toward me. It was running, you know, kind of parallel to me. Now, had the thing been running toward me, I'd probably have all kinds of emotional problems now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. As big and fast as it was. Yeah. That'd but, keep me out of the woods. <laughs> but, uh, Justin, if and now, Lauren, you go out too, don't you? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. You go out this yes, time? sir. Have you yes, had any sir. encounters? And what's your um, favorite part? I've had of encounters. Place? I haven't. <laughs> I've had encounters. I have not had a sighting. Um, and I love um, uh, researching down there around you guys. Um, so I go yeah. down there, or or I go to Stillwell, Oklahoma. That's another favorite of mine. Well, anytime either you're down here or Smithville area, give me give me a call. I'd love to meet you guys. Oh, absolutely. Um, go yeah, hang out. Sure. I can show you the areas here where uh, things have happened. Um, they now absolutely. there's some people that go down below the uh, below the mission over there along the river there, and they ha- they've had sightings and stuff down there. Um, I've talked to a lady who had one about two miles from here, and but that was a good four years ago, and it's been a while since I talked to her. 
Now, I haven't heard of anybody. I haven't heard of anybody getting attacked or or anything aggressive happening around here. Other than when you what you hear about the siege of Anobi, that's the only aggressive behavior I've heard of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I haven't I haven't heard of a whole lot of aggressive encounters um, besides siege of Anobi, maybe getting bluff charged or screamed at, but nothing too aggressive. Yeah, but. Then again, you know, like tonight I had the silhouette thing happen behind the carport. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to get aggressive. <laughs> that was that was about all I could handle <laughs> that night when I saw that. I was like, okay, that's enough of that. And then when you, you know, when I, the grunting and chattering in the tree line, that was kind of creepy. I mean, it really wasn't terrifying, but it just kind of like, Ugh, that's enough of that, man. You guys can quit anytime you're ready. You know, it just, it's kind of... <laughs> Knocks you off balance a little bit. Funny thing um, I've been thinking about since I've gotten into this, when I was a kid, we had a house on Lake Texoma we'd go to every weekend. And it was this one area, and we were miles away from any houses or anything. We had to go through the woods to get there and old trails. We'd ride our motorcycles out there, and I remember we'd always feel like we were being watched. And it kind of went on a point out by the lake. And uh, one Saturday, my father had a bunch of his construction buddies up, and they'd been fishing, and they were playing poker. And I don't know, we were about 13 or 14, and, you know, the cooler was there. It was full of beer, and we had motorcycles. So we did what teenagers do. We grabbed a bunch of the beer, and we grabbed some cigars somebody had laying around and some food (laughs) to cook over a campfire. And we went out to this point, and... uh, we were going to camp out and drink beer and just, you know, be bad boys, we thought. And uh, about midnight, we're, you know, having a pretty good time. And we start getting pelted with rocks. Never, you know, never thought about it until I started getting into the Bigfoot research. So we're we're thinking it was some person or bomb or something. So we're screaming and throwing rocks back. Now, nothing ever happened, but more rocks would come in. And then it just stopped. And then a few hours later, a couple more came in. And woke us up, but by then we weren't amused and never thought about it being anything other than a person. Probably was a person, but then again, I've heard about sightings around Lake Texoma, so you you never know. But I mm-hmm. thought it was pretty funny that as a child I was looking at that as a okay, that's that's a person. But now as a grown man, I'm like, okay, is that a Sasquatch throwing that rock at me? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I went mm-hmm. reverse almost. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, do you live fairly close to where the siege of Sunobi happened? Like um, just a couple of miles. I live, I live right. I live about a mile from the mission, half mile from the store. If you know where the store is, and then uh, mm-hmm. the siege house is about. You go down to 144 and hang a left, and it's about three miles down the road. So probably as the crow flies, maybe two or three miles. From it, hmm. I've, every time I go down there, I, I I mean to try to find that place, but usually I'm running late, or I I've got to get out to our area and start getting stuff set right. up so everybody else can show up. But one well, of these things have I'm changed, gonna, of course, in 20 years. Well, if if yeah. you want to know where it is, and they say it doesn't even look the same anymore as it did then, I guess it got damaged by a tornado or something. 
But if you're leaving Honubby, mm-hmm. Honubby, I'm going to get it right one of these days, heading towards Smithfield, <laughs> you'll see a little church, uh, Christ Church, Little River, and there's a house just to the west of it, borders the property, and that's it. Um, mm. And like I say, I, they probably get tired of people slowing down and stuff. Um, there's there's somebody that lives there now. I don't. I'm, as far as I know, it's not the same people. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not. But I've never pulled in or anything. Like I say, I try to be respectful of everybody's uh, privacy up here. And um, if somebody yeah. wants, you know, talk in the store or something over a hamburger, that's great. But yeah, I don't pull up into people's property. Hey, have you seen Bigfoot? <laughs> <laughs> I like living here and want to want to stay here the rest of my life, so I don't want to get run off, you know? <laughs> That's a really good, really good plan there, you know, to not be shot. So. <laughs> yeah, come be the ugly Texan in Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, I really hope you've changed your license plate. That'll help a lot. Yeah, yeah, I know, especially since I'm the biggest <laughs> complainer about all the Texans in Town when I drive through there on a Friday and I was like, man, I wish all you Texans would go home. <laughs> I did, I did, no, I did get my, my Oklahoma driver's license, but I haven't got the plates changed yet. Oh, man, that's, you got to, that's the first thing you need to do. <laughs> You're identified. You are on people's radar. Let me tell you, you can't even, like, if you tap your brakes, well, it's, it's, you're done because you're a Texan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, hey, quit looking around and just drive. <laughs> well, yeah, I know when I first exactly. moved here, when we first got here, I'd go up the mountain either way, and, you know, I wasn't used to the road. The curves seemed steep and sharp, and I was a little too slow, and I'd look in the rearview mirror, and there'd be somebody right on my rear end. You know, and <laughs> I came home one day and I told my wife, I said, you know how to tell if it's an Okie behind you? And she said, no, Al. I said, you can see the whites of their eyes. <laughs> but then after I got after I got used to the roads, I started finding out I'd end up behind a Texan, and I'm just complaining the whole time. Or the worst possible combination would be have a Texan in front of you and an Oklahoma person behind you because then you're just sandwiched. You can't do nothing on that road. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. That is hilarious. Oh, my gosh. And it's true, you know, and and we were, so Dustin and I had to go to Falk, or we got to go to Falk for our first time, and um, we were video chatting with some friends of ours on the way down, and um, we got to Texas, and and Dustin's like, why do all you Texas drivers drive like idiots? And he's just a cousin, and, and our our friend on the other end, you know, he's a Texan and he said, yeah, but, uh, you notice how smooth that video was, how smooth that road is. He's like, that's yeah, how you know you you're go. out of Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma has the that's worst hilarious. roads. <laughs> oh, it was when, so when we were so moving, funny. we were in the process of moving up here. Um, this house is pretty small and, um, all our furniture was pretty big and bulky. So we decided, well, let's kind of get smaller furniture, kind of get a retro, almost 60s-looking kind of thing going. And mm-hmm. so Monica was in uh, Texarkana buying furniture, and it was funny because there was a lady in there buying furniture, too, who was from Falk. And 
the delivery there was from Falk, and then we were going to have furniture delivered in Onubi, and it was like, yeah, both uh, both Bigfoot Capitals were, were buying furniture that day. So maybe, oh you know, God. well, maybe a delivery driver will have a siding or something at one of the other places. I was going to say, that's just a pretty good sign, man. To me, I'd be like, yep, it's a sign. We did the right thing. We made the right choice. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there you are. Yeah. And, you well, know, I would rather live actually, up here than oh. – I would just say I'd Go rather ahead. live up here in these hills than down there in that swamp around uh, Falk. You can have the swamp. Falk. Yeah, you know, Falk during the winter is my favorite place on the entire planet, but Falk during the summer, um, I haven't experienced it, but I'm pretty sure I will just pass on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Falk but, um, in the summer uh, – the chiggers fight the mosquitoes to get you. Yeah, there you go. Hey, Lauren, when we get off of here, I'll send you a text that I do have a story about Falk. It's funny. I was working okay. near there one day, and and I'll send it to you and just let you know you might want to share it with somebody sometime. Okay, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we are actually out of time. Um, thank you again for coming on again tonight. Um, you're a great hey, it was guest. A pleasure. So, good. so great that we that we had to have a two-part um, to finish up with you. So um, good luck on your next book, and please let us know after you publish it so that we can kind of maybe have you back on and, um, you know, just talk about that, Ben. Um, and I know awesome. you'll have more experiences by then, too. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Well, thank you very much. You guys have been a pleasure to talk to. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you All right. We will be back same time, same place next week. And, again, John, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Everybody stay safe out there. Cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. Wash your dang hands and stay the heck at home if you can. Um, And a huge shout-out to all of our essential personnel out there on the front lines um, taking care of us as we go grocery shopping if we're sick. Yes, sir. I just got to give a shout out to my daughter, Jessica. I didn't Mm -hmm. mention her last week. Mm -hmm. Hey, darling, love you. Okay, thank you, Lauren. (laughs) Absolutely. No, you're welcome. Um, A big shout out to all of our essential workers, and we will see you all all next week. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye. Good night. Bigfoot Radio.